FBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 13, where we covered the mysterious death of Miss Lauren Agee. Lauren's death was quickly ruled by police as an accident, uh, saying that she fell off a cliff and possibly drowned. But Lauren's parents didn't believe that it was an accident, and they employed the services of renowned private investigator Sheila Wysocki, who joined us in the episode to break down her investigation into the case. As always, I'm joined in the studio today by Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, hey. And Mr. Mike Bussing. Hey, guys. And we got a bunch of questions from you guys, which we're going to get to right after a break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission. And the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. All right, real quick, before I get into uh, asking Zach what you thought about the case, uh, I do want to make a quick apology. I was cringing myself, as I'm sure a lot of you were, when I listened to my intro for that episode, when I heard myself not once, not twice, but thrice, three times, I referred to Lauren Agee as Laura Agee during the intro. Uh, so I, I just want to make sure I apologize. I mean, no disrespect by that. Uh, I just was, I was recording the intro two weeks after I recorded the episode. And for some reason, I just had uh, my my brain wasn't working properly. And by the time I listened back to it, I realized the mistake. Something maybe the editor should have caught. We all make mistakes, Bob. We all make mistakes. All of us. This came from the same guy that, you know, once did the the Ed Atez as well. That's right. Right. But that wasn't my fault because I didn't know that it was, I was only reading it on a piece of paper. I spent hours researching, listening to, and speaking about Lauren's case and then referred to her as Laura. And it was it was so especially when you make a mistake like that three times, it's 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 every time you you hear it coming. And I was just waiting, like, oh, please get it right this time, please get it right this time. And there it is again, there it is again. Anyway, sorry about that, guys. And I'm sure a lot of you noticed. Also, thank you for not blasting me about it because I was really expecting to have multiple social media posts about me misspeaking there. But anyway, so the real quick the the basics of Lauren's case. So she's she goes to this wake fest with some friends. She was camping up on a cliff with some friends on the there were their Friday night and then Saturday night, Sunday morning, everybody gets up, Lauren's gone. They don't know according to their story, they don't know where she's at. 
They think maybe she went their stories. She might have went on a houseboat with somebody, might have left with some guy, might have got mixed up with her ex-boyfriend. They go back to Wakefest into the bars thinking, as the, this is their story, that they think they'll well, probably run into her there. And, of course, they don't. And then a few hours later, some fishermen find Lauren's body floating in a cove near the cliff where they were staying. Police investigate. Well, I use air quotes and investigate. They look into it and determine that it was a tragic accident, that you know she must have got up to go to the bathroom, she'd been drinking, and she must have fell down the cliff into the lake and drowned. And that's the end of the case. Lauren's mother never believed that, never believed that it was an accident. That she's always suspected there was some kind of foul play. As I mentioned in the intro, she brings in Sheila Waisaki, who starts to investigate and interview some new people, and they did some experiments. And her conclusion is that Sheila believes 100% that this was not an accident, but there's still been no conclusion in the case. So Zach, from this one, you weren't able to do a whole lot of outside research. You just listened to the episode. So from listening to the episode and hearing Sheila's take on the case, what are your thoughts? So just from listening to the episode, it's a lot of back and forth for me, you know, because you have these, these cases like this where the parent doesn't want to believe that it could be an accident. You know, we've had other cases, not on truth and justice, but you hear other cases where, a, you know, a suicide and a parent doesn't want to believe it's a suicide. It's very common in suicide. So it's, it's hard to go back and forth with this. From what I've heard, it does sound very suspicious. It doesn't seem, you know, I mean, maybe it could have been accidental, but, you know, there's, there's more to it than just her disappearing in the middle of the night and drowning. Right. You know, you know I, I kind of lean that way, too. Some of the injuries... And, and, and none of unless I haven't been able to find him, the problem with this case for us to dig too much deeper into, so we won't be able to get too far in depth in this episode, is nowhere are available that I've been able to find easily accessible the case documents or photos. And so I'm just basing a lot of this on what we're hearing mm-hmm. uh, about the case. But it sounds like there's some injuries that maybe indicate she was attacked, you know, the bruising on her neck, the blunt force trauma to the back of her head, the, the possible bite mark on her chest. But really, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, that someone tried to intentionally murder her, and then they all got together to cover it up. My thought after listening to all of season one of Without Warning is that I think probably at least some, if not all, the people on that cliff know what happened, and what whatever happened was maybe incriminating in another way. Okay, if that makes sense, you know the. the Maybe her death was an accident, but it happened because they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. And I couldn't even begin to theorize on what that might be. But okay. but just in my mind, that makes more sense than someone said, we're going to murder her. And then like, you know, because like Hannah Palmer's her friend, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you know the, if her good friends there know someone just straight up murdered her, I just don't understand why they would keep it quiet. And I don't believe they were all complicit in a murder. Yeah. And, and the the theory... Of you know a possible a strange maybe not a strange lover but a, a possible hookup and it didn't go the way they wanted. Mm-hmm. Why would you attack her and kill her with all those people around if it right. just didn't happen? Well, and more so than that because you know that happens. People are mentally unstable. Whatever triggers they have, drugs and alcohol for whatever reason, I could you know maybe that happens. Mm-hmm. But why would her friends cover it up? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if that did happen, say there was this you know like you said this there was some kind of hookup, maybe this bricks guy, whatever. Yeah, something happens, something goes wrong, and he kills him or he kills her. Yeah, why would everybody else cover that up? Yeah, to help him out for murdering their friend. Mm-hmm. That just that just doesn't add up to me. That's why I feel like there was, you know, what what jumps in your mind, which the medical examiner's report doesn't support this from what I know, but like 
you know, maybe if they were, you know, doing some kind of illegal drug and it resulted in a death and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, shoot, she's dead. But if they know how she died, then we're going to be in trouble for what we were doing. Okay. So I, but so I, I don't think it was an illegal drug because there was nothing like that in her system. Yeah. Unless it was somebody else. But, you know, something like that, something along those lines where they were maybe doing something that was illegal that one, that resulted in her death. And they all get the, I definitely, I don't believe they're all telling the truth. I don't believe that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, what do you think? I mean, a possibility, maybe she like OD'd and they, they submerged her in water to try to make it look like she drowned. I mean, no, like like I said, I don't think anything to do with drugs. I was using that example because her, her toxicology report didn't indicate that. So it only came back that she was, she was drinking as far as we are aware. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As far as I know, there was, it was just alcohol in her system. And then Sheila said, you know, the. The Emmy's report says that she was like twice the legal limit, which would be like 1.6 mm-hmm. or 0.16 or whatever, I think, in Tennessee. Uh, Sheila said there's something with the science with that, which we never really did clear up. This. Yeah, that's, she did bring that up, and it seemed a little strange. The only explanation we got was that she said that she's not arguing the fact that she was drinking and that she was intoxicated, mm-hmm. but that number of twice the legal limit, that 1.6, that wasn't accurate is what she was saying. So like maybe, uh, maybe it was like 1.2 or 1.1 1. 1 or, you know. So in the autopsy says cause of death is drowning. Is that what we're. It's, the autopsy says cause of death is blunt force trauma consistent with a fall with possible drowning. Okay. But the drowning part is perplexing too, because there's no indication that there, she was, there was no water in her lungs and, and there wasn't um, the edema that you typically see from, from drowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, from again, I'm basing this on what I'm hearing. I haven't seen the the medical examiner's report, but so yeah, I don't know how they came to the conclusion other than the fact that she was found in the water. And then also, uh, she mentioned in the podcast that there was no debris or dust or anything on her clothes or in her hair, indicating that she probably didn't fall off this cliff. It's not a free fall down a cliff into water. It's down a hill. Is that what it, the is that the visual? They're, they're they're calling it a cliff from from what I understand. It's there is one of the episodes, one of her later episodes. Uh, she actually has Bobby Chacon on, which I'm sure a lot of you listening know who he is. But he's former FBI guy, good friends with Jim Clemente, uh, and he was a uh, like I don't remember his title, but he he was big into dive rescue. He came on and talked about some of the stuff. But from those conversations, it sounds like it's not like it's a cliff face, like you know. There's ground, then there's no ground, and it's straight down to the water. There's a slope to it with a lot of jagged rocks and then maybe some, it sounds like a little bit of shoreline before the water. And so they're saying if she had slipped and fell, she would have, you know, bounced off of and banged. And when they did their their test with the dummies, that just gets beat up on the way down. And the part of what they were doing with the dummies was none of those places would her body end up where it ended up if that's what had happened. But yeah, so there just there there wasn't indication on her, and without seeing the scene, I tend to agree with with that assessment. You know, you would just a bang on the head, and it, you know, you'd, you'd expect I would expect all extremities, you know, with a tumbling fall like that. You know, your your elbows, your hands, your feet, your knees to just be shredded from flipping down a hill like that, and probably much more than just the blunt force to the head. You'd have a, a, you know massive trauma to the torso. I would think. Yeah. And then also, the, this is playing devil's advocate, but what if she were to have jumped for whatever reason? Yeah, well, that's that's another option is if she had just jumped off of the cliff, then yeah, she would probably clear a lot of that stuff and 
you know, just land in the water. But then you would expect maybe drowning. The blunt force trauma doesn't really add up. But it, it, again, a lot of this stuff is just really ambiguous because we don't have. And I was looking before I was looking on Sheila's website. I didn't see it on there. So maybe they're out there somewhere that I wasn't able to find. But we don't have the actual case documents. And I, and I would love to see photos of the scene to get a better, better idea of it. But, you know, and, and that's getting back to what we were talking about earlier. Maybe something happened that, you know, they, they were trying to hide, you know, that, that maybe not necessarily jumping off the cliff, but maybe somebody was doing something to her and she took off running away from them in the dark and accidentally ran off the cliff, which would again then give her the distance away to not have all the tumbling injuries you'd expect. And they were just like, well, they, you know, they, he didn't kill her. She, you know, that was on her. She was drunk and running away and fell off, but we don't want them to know who she was running away from, you know, is just, a, just as a hypothesis throwing out there. I don't right. know. The tampon thing really kind of threw me too. I mean, and, and as a man, I obviously don't get it because I'm an idiot, but the, the tampon thing, you know, they, they talked about that she had a tampon inserted, but she wasn't on her period. And Sheila kind of made a, a big to do about that, but I don't really know why or what or. Yeah. So that's a good one too. And when I listening back to it, I remember the part of the conversation. I was a bit confused about that too. I think what she was getting at was she was pointing at some of the inadequacies of the investigation. The fact that they didn't do a rape kit on her. Because uh, she had a tampon. Because she had a tampon in. They said she had a tampon in. So she was on her period. She wasn't raped. It, it, yeah, and so I think the what she was getting as the police assumed that oh, if she had a tampon on, she couldn't have been raped. But yeah, I will say that I think in the podcast, some of the time the police definitely did a shitty job and should have investigated more and definitely made a lot of mistakes. And they're 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 continuing to put their head in the sand with it. But at the same time, I think in some some cases, some pieces of it, maybe that they're giving the law enforcement agents a little bit too hard of a time more than they deserve. So the, the, the M.E. inspector of the body didn't see any indications of sexual assault. Plus, she had a tampon still in there. And because of that, the detective didn't say, well, do a rape kit because there was no indication that she was raped. Now, to say, yes, a thorough inv- if they're really doing a thorough investigation and investigating it as a homicide. Yeah, you go ahead and do one anyway, because she could have been raped with the tampon still in or, you know. And, you know, they said she wasn't on her period because there was no blood on it. You don't know. It could have been the tail end or the beginning. And, you know, they, this is tricky to navigate. But, I mean, they're, I, know, I know that there are people that will, when they know based on a calendar that it's coming, might put a tampon in in preparation just in case um, without going much further down that road. So there's a lot of reasons for, for that. But, anyway, th- th- that was the thing. I, I, don't, I don't personally, I don't fault the police officers based on what I know for not doing a rape kit because there was no, because there are other indications and, you know, the, the, and Emmy would, would say, well, her thighs are bruised. There's tearing, there's some blood, you know, there's, you know, there are indications. It looks like, I think she might have been sexually assaulted. They don't have any of that. Add to that. She has a clean tampon in. And I, and I could see why they wouldn't make the leap to say, well, let's also do a, you know, a full DNA test and rape, rape kit on her. When they had nothing to indicate that that needed to be done, and and one last thing before we get into these questions, while we're still on the the, the tampon thing, I'm curious. In uh, again, I haven't seen or heard anything in the medical examiner's report that there was any other drugs in Lauren's system. Um, but another possibility with the tampon is I have heard of people using 
tampons as a delivery mechanism for some drugs. Like they would literally like soak it in some some kind of some kind of drug, whether it be like methamphetamines or a, like opiates or whatever that they would use that. But but I don't I didn't hear that there was that there was any of those drugs in her system. But just something to think about. Another explanation why there might be a tampon used when, as they're saying, she wasn't on her period. All right, let's get into some of these questions. We've kind of covered a few already. Our first one's from Erica. Why does the fact that she was floating automatically mean she couldn't have drowned? We know that not every drowning victim has water in their lungs, though it is likely. But every body floats eventually in water, and the rate of decomposition is widely variable, especially in water. Yeah, I was she, she said it twice during the episode. And I need to go back and listen to the Bobby Chacon episode because I'm sure he covered it. But we've actually talked about this with other cases. Yeah. As far as bodies floating and then sinking. Yeah. I didn't get into and I didn't challenge Sheila on that in the because it wasn't an important point of the conversation as we were as we were moving along. But yeah, so just as a quick science lesson, the reason bodies float doesn't have to do with air in your lungs. So like if somebody falls in the water and you know, you will it, right now, if you if you go in the water, as soon as you breathe out, you know you're gonna sink. You'll sink to the bottom. That's how people drown. We don't just we're not naturally buoyant. Uh, and of course, if you dr- when you drown, your lungs are filled with water, which more so weighs you down, and you and, you, and you're gonna sink even more. It, and then what happens is when when a person dies, your internal organs begin a decomposition process that releases gas. And it called I'm sure most of you are aware. You know, when people will bloat. When 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 they've been dead for a little while, and that bloating is literally just gases uh, releasing due to the decomposition process of your internal organs. Your body is still sealed, and it fills it up almost like a balloon, and that will cause the body then to float. And then a body undiscovered will float for a period of time until those gases break down and dissipate, and then they will sink again and go back down to the bottom. So whether it was drowning or not. I'm confused as to why the assumption is made she couldn't have drowned because she was floating, unless it has to do with timing, which she didn't get into. But that's the only thing I could think of was, um, and I don't have the rates. I've got the books out in the in the other room in the office here, but uh, I could look it up. But it, as they said, they're widely varying. But there are times that are based on you know a lot of it's based on temperature, type of death, cause of death. You know, there's a lot of things that could either speed up or delay the gassing process to cause them to float. So maybe it's because of the window of time and when she was floating, but the fact that she disappeared at say one o'clock and the, you know, some, some, our, our window is sometime at night. If she had fallen in the water at say two o'clock in the morning. And if at three in the afternoon, she's floating, I would think that would be in that window of time to when, even if she hadn't drowned or if she had drowned either way, that, that off gassing would cause her body to float by then. Yeah, it's still a little confusing to me because even I feel like even if it was fairly recent that she drowned, she would still be floating. Like I feel yeah. like you don't always sink right away. No, well, you you definitely you definitely sink right away when you drown. Okay. I mean, think about it. If you go out, if I just you're we're alive and well right uh-huh. now, and if I take you out to a lake and throw you in, and you don't use your energy to try to float, mm-hmm. I just throw you in and you just lay there. What's going to happen? Yeah, you sink. Right. You sink. Okay. And then as you sink, your lungs are filling with, you know, eventually you're going to try to breathe. Your lungs are going to fill with water. That's when it becomes drowning once your lungs fill with water, right? 
and you're going to sink. Our bodies will naturally sink without a flotation device, without, you know, intentionally swimming, treading water. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hold your breath and make yourself float for a little while. You know, these are things you can do to get yourself to float. But if you don't do any of that, you're going to the bottom. Okay. You know, so that's why even wh- whether you drown or not, you're going down. And then you ultimately will drown. Unless, in this case, you were already dead when you went in, then it wouldn't be drowning. And that's the part that, that honestly is the part that confuses me, how the ME can say possible drowning. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're dead, you're still going to sink. Right. Either way. So why would the float, I'm so confused so by the float. is it, uh, when, I guess we need to ask, and you might have tried to cover this, when was her body, body discovered? You know, I, I don't, I don't recall the exact time. It was in the afternoon. The next day. The next day. Yeah. It, was, right. it wasn't like days had gone by. Right. And I guess I say when I'm confused by the floating, I'm not confused by the actual body floating. I'm confused why that is a statement of why, if it's floating, why can't it be drowned? It's just, I don't know. Oh, oh that, well, and that's what I'm getting at is yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that's an accurate statement mm-hmm. that you made that unless there's something else I'm missing, which is possible. But like I said, whether you drown or not, a dead body in water will float. So yeah, th- I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting at is I, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I agree that statement doesn't make sense to me. And again, there could be something that I'm missing there. I don't know. But I do know that a body, no matter what the manner of death is, at some point will float. Once the, once the off-gassing occurs, they're going to float up. And I, and I feel like the next day, you know, that would be in that window of time when you would expect that to happen. And then eventually, like I said, the gases break down, they'll go back down. But she was found before that. But the thing that is is confusing to me about it is why they they say even possible drowning because there are cases where you can have a drowning and there isn't water in the lungs i think you know there's different phenomena on how they were pulled out and i guess gravity could let the way i don't know but i've heard that you can have a drowning and not have water in the lungs i could speak for days about this if we're talking about fire and smoke inhalation but with water's a little out of my my realm but what you do see when someone drowns is you have uh, edema that occurs and you have you know a rupturing of all these blood vessels in your lungs and that is very apparent in the autopsy and i didn't hear that there was any of that so th- and that's why i don't under- i i understand i don't understand why the why why sheila and team determined that it couldn't be drowning because she was floating but i also don't understand why the me could say possible drowning when there's no indications that that's what caused it Katie says, I remember in the podcast, we learned that Lauren really wanted to go home that night and didn't want to share a hammock with Chris Stout, but felt she had no other option when she couldn't get a ride home. Any chance Chris tried to make moves on her, and when she resisted, said she had a boyfriend and tried to get away from him, he attacked her. That was my feeling until I heard about this Bricks guy, who also seems really suspicious. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are the the revelation of Bricks throws into question... Literally everything else that they told us, you know, so, so, so the story about her not wanting to be in the hammock with this dude was all part of the same story wherein bricks isn't there. You know what I mean? So I don't think we can, I don't think we can believe that element of the story. I don't think we can believe any of the elements of the story because it's very clear, you know, as, as, as I said in the show that, you know, they all told a story that's provably false on two, th- two things. One. They all were, were pointing the finger at her ex, Clint. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's saying, oh, they had words and she, you know, they, they, they had a kiss or they, all these different things they were saying happened with Clint. And 
all of that by multiple witnesses without a dog in the hunt that had nothing to do with the case that all verified that Clint had didn't even talk to her and was nowhere near and was at a completely different place with 25 other people. And that's what makes the whole thing that I don't believe this was just an accident that none of them know anything about because they all coordinated to tell a story that's provably false. Also, as part of that, they all told a story and a narrative wherein Bricks was never with them. When we also know that that's, that's, that's also provably false. We have proof that he actually, between audio recordings and witness statements, we know he was there. So I guess what I'm getting at as far as, yeah, could something of that like that have happened with this Chris guy? Sure, it could. It's a theory. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. You know, that could have been a maybe she was running away from someone when she fell down the cliff, and that's why they didn't want to tell anyone. So sure, sure, it's a it's a reasonable hypothesis, but that's assuming that the entire story about her not wanting to be in the hammock with Chris is true, and I have no reason to believe that it is. It's just strange that they exclude a person purposely. They all exclude the same person purposely, mm-hmm. and they all is four people, right? Right. Yeah, the four people that were up mm-hmm. there with. Uh, with Lauren and they were her friends, right? Yeah. Well, they were all, so Hannah was like one of her really good friends. I think she was the one she was closest to. And, but she was also friends with these other, with the other people too. And then I think there might've been a, I think the Chris guy might've been a friend of a friend. If I remember, I don't remember the details, but yeah, she knew all of them and was close friends with at least Hannah, if not a couple of them. Jenny says it's unclear why the parents dropped the wrongful death lawsuit against Hannah. And maybe it was also against the others. Do you know more about that? Or did she mention this in her interview? It seems that the parents would have had a strong case against these kids because of their numerous lies and inconsistent stories. Yeah, honestly, I was shocked when we when I was talking to Sheila because I had done, besides listening to the podcast and then um, just researching what I what was available online, my understanding was that once the judge overturned the judge's order who, who threw out the suit, um, and then remanded it back to the back to him. I thought that meant that well now they were going guns blazing and going to continue on with the lawsuit. I was surprised when Sheila said that. From what she said on the podcast, the way I understood it was that it's just not worth it anymore. To um, Sherry, I think is Lauren's mom's name. You know, she, she 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 went through all this because she wanted to know what happened to her daughter. She feels like she's she's received that answer at this point. She believes that someone killed her daughter. And it's not worth it to her to continue on with this fight. It's probably an, it's probably an expensive fight too. That that was my understanding from what Sheila said. Uh, why why they ended up just dropping the the suit against Hannah Palmer. Also, keep in mind, I mean, for in order to be victorious in a civil suit for a, a wrongful death, now they don't have the reasonable doubt. It's just a preponderance of evidence standard, which means you know if fifty one percent of the evidence leans your way, then you win. Or that's what a jury is supposed to rule on, uh, but you have to prove with a preponderance of the evidence that Hannah Palmer was responsible for Lauren's death. And I just don't think there's enough evidence. I don't. I don't think she can do that. I think you can certainly throw some circumstantial evidence to lean that way, but I haven't. I haven't even heard anything that would that would lead me to believe. Hannah was directly responsible for Lauren's death. I just, I, I don't think that that would be possible to do. All right. Our last question comes from Ashley. Are you going to interview any docuseries creators when you start the new podcast? 
I'd like to suggest Madison Hamburg from Murder on Middle Beach on HBO. Ooh, okay. So, first of all, if you haven't watched Murder on Middle Beach, watch it. You can watch it on HBO On Demand. Um, I think HBO has that new HBO Max stream, streaming app. Whatever it is, really, really cool documentary. It's a, it's a guy that, young man that mother was murdered and started making his own documentary on it that got picked up by HBO. It's, it's, it's really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. It just, I just watched the final episode the other night. Um, but as to your question, I have already reached out to Madison. I spoke with him directly uh, about coming on the show. And he, with his deal with HBO, it sounds like he has to deal with the HBO PR team to approve that. So he has forwarded my request to their PR team. So hopefully we'll have Madison on at some point. In that regard, uh, we still have, uh, so we have two more episodes coming up this year. Uh, as, as wonderful of a year as 2020 has been, we have two 2020 episodes left. One of which, the last one of the year, which is going to be um, a week from this Sunday, will be with the one and only Paul Holes. And just two days from now, this Sunday, episode 14, is going to be an interview with David Ridgen from Someone Knows Something. So I'm really excited about both of those. We've already done the interviews. I think you're going to be fascinated by both of those episodes. And that will take us through the end of the year. We're taking a week off for Christmas. But our plan right now is to get started with a new case, hoping, desperately hoping, and the first Sunday in February, which means that when we come back from, from the holiday break, we'll still have four or five more episodes of this season. So it doesn't necessarily have to be once we launch into the new podcast on a different feed. We may, if Madison gets back with me, if we're able to lock that down, you'll, you'll hear that in sometime in January. So I've got my fingers crossed. I can't wait to talk to him. And with that, I think we're all done for today. Make sure you guys tune in on Sunday for, again, a really interesting interview with David Ridgen, who is one of my all-time favorite podcasters. Uh, we don't necessarily break down a particular one of his cases. We kind of discuss the gamut of all six cases covered in the Someone Knows Something podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for a binge between now and then, definitely check out Someone Knows Something. And definitely tune in on Sunday to hear David talk about it. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. 
For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.